This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Be sure to check out and subscribe to my other podcast, Thinking and Doing, where I examine logical fallacy, cognitive bias, stoic teachings, and tips on being better at life. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at everythingvoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. I can see you. Okay. Can you hear me still? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, how are things going? Uh, really crazy. I mean, just everything is changing in my life because I'm starting a business and another business essentially in Texas in a couple months. We're changing. We just hired another person at this office. We have one guy out uh, with workers comp stuff. Additionally, I'm moving in a month and uh, just, I mean, and then I have to buy everything this year because we did, we had a really good business year. So I'm trying to find any way to spend money, especially because this year I'm going to get taxed in California. Well, next year I'll get taxed in Texas. So I really want to keep my taxes as low as possible. Um, So yeah, I mean, everything is changing in a million different ways. So I'm just kind of constantly busy a lot's on my mind um but uh everything's going right now it's everything's going pretty well <laughs> well it's good to hear that yeah so i i wanted to i guess talk to you about a couple of things that you mentioned um one i didn't know anything about we'll get to that in a second but the first thing was yeah you kind of just mentioned it now but you're leaving california why are you leaving california you know, it's, it's, it's of course, the same story as everyone else to a degree, right? Is that California sucks. Uh, but it's actually, to me, it's more about that California is going to get worse. It's not even that it's bad now. It's that I really perceive it getting worse. Um, and then a couple things, you know, living in California, there's not a lot of opportunities, but everything's really expensive. So there's no, unless you're in tech, or, you know, something like that. There's just not a lot of job opportunities. And while I'm doing pretty well out in California, you know, when I think about my kids growing up, I don't want them to have to move away. You know, me and my wife, we make, you know, parent friends, whatever, our kids go play, and then we end up kind of being friends with them. And a lot of people moved away in the last five years, just because they can't afford it. You know, young adults just cannot live in California. So they keep moving out because it's just too expensive to live in California. When I thought about my kids growing up, I was like, that sucks. I don't want my kids to, you know, grow up in California and just all have to leave. I'd like them to theoretically be in an area where it's more of a vibrant economy and everything like that. Um, so, you know, these are some of the things, like I said, California is going to get worse. The Democrats recently got a supermajority in Congress. Like a lot of things in California, even though you everything you hear is bad and, and all of that is bad, 
what people don't realize is that major legislation in California has been blocked by Republicans all this time up until very recently, um, just because they can't do anything without a supermajority. Well, finally, the Democrats have a supermajority. And, um, you know, home, they're going after charter schools right now, but homeschools are good at, homeschooling is going to be next. Um, and, uh, and, and additionally, obviously, there's all these pension problems and California is just going to be a mess. Um, they're going, they're regulating more obviously, obviously all the COVID-19 stuff, California is worse than most other places. So all of this is just, you know, I'm like, do I really want to be here in 20 years? And if I don't want to be here in 20 years, where are my kids going to want to be? I just wanted to be somewhere where my kids won't feel compulsed to move away from us, um, in order to start their own lives when they get older. Yeah. Those are really good reasons. Um, California is already pretty onerous when it comes to homeschooling i mean don't you have to like do testing and reports and stuff like that or is it not here's the the surprising thing what people like uh there's a website that breaks up all the four states into certain tiers california is actually not that bad it's on the second best tier um california is better than most states now there was a very short period of time where california was by far the worst but that legislation was struck down by california supreme court so there was a legislation there was legislation passed that forced it. So any, in order to homeschool, you had to have a teaching credential. <laughs> and so that uh, because require, you're like a, a four-year degree or something. Well, a four-year degree <laughs> and a teaching credential. Right? Yeah. So in order to homeschool in California for a couple months, this was, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, um, you had to have a teaching credential, but it went up to the California Supreme Court and they just said, yeah, that's bull crap. So they struck that down. So, you know, the, the laws, there's not much testing. It's really mostly just, um, you have to get approval from your local superintendent uh, on your curriculum, not approval to get homeschooled, but on your curriculum. Um, and, you know, depending on where you're at, that's sometimes nothing to can be hard if you, if it's a hard, you know, area. So, um, but for the most part for, I would say California is easier than most States for most reasons. So it's not that bad yet, but I really think that, you know, just give it a little bit of time. They're really going after charter schools really hard. A lot of charter schools are closing down um, and they're doing everything because the teeth, the unions in California just run everything, right? Yeah. They, they own the, all the, they, they have all the politicians in their pockets. So uh, the teachers union is literally the strongest union in California. So are, you know, they have the most political power. So, you know, so, there's no so way that, wh- why matter. why are charter schools a target? Okay, so first of all, in California, a lot of um, and we do this too. Well, we, we just stopped doing it, but a lot of uh, you homeschool often. You will homeschool through a charter, so you find a charter school, um, and then what they do for the most part, there's umbrella schools, and and what they'll often do is you do everything yourself. Um, but for the most part, they'll help you out, give you some resources, but mostly just make sure that you're compliant, right? Um, and so they're an avenue to be to get some compliance through. So uh, almost all homeschoolers in California use a charter school uh, as an umbrella school, just as a means to stay compliant and everything like that. Um, additionally, um, uh, Charter schools, obviously, they're not unionized, so okay. they want to attack charter schools just because, to some degree, a lot of funding is being taken away from public schooling and given to charter schools. So the teachers' unions find that to be a challenge of their uh, power, authority, and control. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense then if if they're not unionized. And I don't know. 
I really, I really don't know too much about charter schools just because when I would have been learning about them would have been when we were looking at schools and we went in the totally opposite direction. So I never paid attention to what was going on. And we've got tons of charter schools around here as well, I understand. And I've seen, you know, like Reason Magazine articles and documentaries on charter schools and how helpful they are and how amazing certain minority groups have with them and or what yeah. amazing uh, time they have with them and how much they like them. And, but so it's interesting to see a fight like that. And if they are popular enough, I mean, I, I imagine there would be a lot of pushback. And so you're kind of at a situation where you're going to see like parents versus teachers or teacher union, I guess. Is yeah. But you know, the thing is, is the parents have almost no power. Um, so in the long run, teachers unions will win if it's a Democrat state. Um, and so the, just because when you think about it, you're not a customer, the, the customer of schools, uh, whether it's charter or public school, the customer is government, right? So if, if some parents upset, it's like, what are you giving me? Okay, fine. You're upset. Are you going to take your money away? Oh, not paying your property taxes. What are you going to do? Right? Like yeah. the, the, the reality is, is that, you know, parents have no say it, it's, it's such a horrible, horrible incentive problem going on. That, you know, I just don't see how a Democrat state can can in any way stop, um, you know, a system of, that's trying everything they can to limit homeschooling and charter schools. So I, ju- I just don't see how parents will matter unless it somehow grows, which it might. I mean, COVID-19 is like doubling the rates of homeschooling so far. Um, and maybe, maybe that'll change things. Maybe it'll be a pivotal moment into something else. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's so the other thing you mentioned was California being so expensive. We we visited there, you know, a couple of years ago when we when we visited you and whatnot. And we were two weeks in San Diego and a week in the Los Angeles area. And it seemed like the only real expensive thing was real estate. I didn't really notice. I mean, we'd go to Wendy's and it was, you know, it's kind of the same menu type of thing, you know, kind of the same prices and whatnot. What uh, what besides real estate, which I think everybody knows about, are there anything else? Is there anything else that's kind of that you think is higher? Utilities, okay. Yeah, utilities right. are quite a bit more. Um, whether you're talking about water or electricity, um, you know, when I look at, I have electric bills. Uh, I've had electric bills ranging from three hundred to thirteen hundred dollars a month. Um, that's what my electric bills range, right? So it depends on the time of year and everything like that. Uh, but Holy you'll crap. get really expensive electricity. I, I'm looking now in Texas. I just, first of all, it's private. Like I went to a private, I don't even know how private electricity works. <laughs> I mean, I, I could imagine, right. But like, I've so always you have, lived you in have a like system. options. No, no options. Every area is just has one electric okay. provider and you know, that's, that's kind of the problem. Right. Um, so, so yeah, with uh, California, electricity is a lot more expensive. Water is more expensive. Um, obviously real estate, but everything with real estate, there's certain peripheral things with real estate that gets more expensive. Additionally, taxes is going to be, uh, you're, you know, you're taxed on everything just little by little gas. That's a major thing. So gas, um, tech, uh, so I, I, for anyone listening, I run a pest control company and we run anywhere from three to six trucks in a way regularly. And um, what that means, though, is I'm paying a lot in gas. So my gas bills about $3,000 a month, right? Just paying for keeping them fueled, right? 
in Texas, that would be $1,500 less if I was right, because it's about half the price because gas prices. But obviously, everything just ticks up just a little bit. So fast food, sure, it's not way more expensive, but it's, you know, maybe 30 cents more per item, right? And, uh, you know, food is not way more expensive at the grocery store, but it's just slightly more expensive everywhere. And then with utilities, real estate and stuff like that, that's where, you know, the things get really difficult. But also wages, um, you know, say you want to a, a babysitter, right, or, or something like that, you're going to be paying more for a babysitter if you if you need something like that, if you, you know, send them all day to get uh, uh, babysat while you're at work. It's not a problem for us, right? But yeah, uh, that's a lot more expensive. All of these things just get a lot more expensive because as real estate gets more expensive, then everyone needs a little bit more money to get by. So all wages go up. So uh, same thing, minimum wage keeps going up in California. It's going to be $15 an hour in a yeah. cup. Maybe I think next year for large businesses and then two years for, um, for small businesses. That's so uh, just... Yeah, every and then workers. I mean, for me, workers comp. We're required to get workers comp. It's way more expensive in California. Um, health insurance is supposedly a little more expensive in California, but surprisingly not that much. Um, so you know, everything's a little more expensive, and then a couple things are way more expensive. So that's that's the problem. Is just you know, there's no such thing as finding a six hundred dollar a month apartment out here. You, you can't do that, right? So. Um, but the rest of the United States, you can usually find something like that. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, what's funny just for comparison is I'm buying a, I just bought a house. It just completed escrow in in Texas, really nice house in the middle of Dallas, Fort Worth, in the middle of one of the richest cities called Colleyville, which is the the average income is almost $200,000 in a household, right? So rich area right in the center, little 10 minutes from Dallas, Fort Worth airport. I bought this huge house. Um, really nice area for a little over $500,000, right? My brother is buying a house for a little over $500,000 in Riverside. And it is small. Yeah. It is really small and just kind of like a whatever house. You're just like, eh. I mean, it's somewhere to live, I guess. And Riverside is like the armpit of Southern California, at least in most people's minds. It's really a fine place, but it's way cheaper than Orange County or LA County, right? So Orange County, this you know, my brother's house would probably be, you know, probably instead of 500, maybe 800 or 900. And then if you're going to LA, all of a sudden that jumps over a million dollars for just a whatever type house. It's just really, really expensive to live uh, in California because they limit, obviously, there's so many things limiting uh, building and it's just so hard and expensive yeah. build here. So yeah, maybe that intentionally, obviously. So, so tell me about some of your reasons for picking Texas and, and if, whether or not you were looking, if you, that, you know, if you kind of just wanted Texas and you were trying to decide on the city or if you were looking at other States. Yeah. So the thing is, is part of it, we have to look at my business. So my business model is getting customers on say yearly, we come out every couple months, treat for bugs or whatever. And that's our business plan is to get a bunch of people on a sort of subscription service and um, service them, right? That's that's the business model. Now, I know how to run that style of business. If the phone's ring, ignore it. My office people will get no it. But um, it, in, um, I know how to run that business model in, in Southern California where there's no snow, right? There's no rain. The weathers are kind of, you know, all, you know, everything is just, easy. I I understand it. I don't know how to run this business with snow. Now I'm sure I can learn. I'm sure there's 
to do it there, right? But I just, I, I figured, you know, if I stay to the southern part of the United States, then, then it, you know, it's easy. And there's a lot of options, right? Arizona, Nevada, Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Those are kind of the states that I was mainly looking at um, and considering. Now, right away, my wife really hates the desert. So that took out Arizona and Nevada really quick. Um, so then we were left with Florida, um, Texas, and Georgia, um, you know, I have a friend that lives in Dallas, Fort Worth area who's my college roommate. Um, and then, uh, I have a friend that lives in the Austin area. I have, you know, and I have a friend that lives in Florida. So, you know, we didn't really consider Georgia that much. Um, but you know, when I looked at it, the weather in Florida, just a lot of humidity, even though Texas still is humid, it's not as much as Florida also flying. I'm going to be flying to Southern California and Texas back and forth a lot. So, uh, you know, in a way, uh, te- uh, in Texas, it's closer and cheaper to fly to Southern California. So, you know, it just kind of, we looked at it. Then when we narrowed it down to Texas, it was the three main metro areas. So I want to be in a metro area just because it doesn't limit my growth, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I really have no idea if I'm going to want to keep growing this and be ambitious into my 60s. Or if, you know, in 10 years, I'm going to be like, you know, it's a good size. I'll just kind of coast at this now. I really don't know. But, and by being in a large metro area, it doesn't kind of cap me out uh, small. So it just gives me the option to keep growing. So, um, you know, pick, we decided not Houston because it's really, really, really wet in Houston. Hurricanes and uh, humidity are a lot. Uh, Austin, uh, if I had to do this over again, I would actually maybe choose Austin. Um, but at the time, um, I was I, I was like, I don't want to go to Austin because why move from California to California? You know, like... Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I could have just started it outside of Austin in a Republican area or something like that. Um, uh, But the reason why, in retrospect, I might reconsider Austin is because, you know, there's two free schools that I I would love to send my kids to a free school, at least give them the option. Right. There's two free schools in uh, Texas, in in the Fort Worth area. And both of them are ran by, you know, ultra woke people who want to ram down social justice. Like, and, and I, I just, you know, especially now I can't let my kids be educated in that sort of atmosphere. Well, and, well, well let me, quick question for you. And I don't know if you can answer it, but how, and I don't, maybe you mean something different by free school, but I'm thinking of like a Sudbury Valley yeah. democratic free school, kind of like what Peter Gray talked about in his book. I don't know. How would, I mean, I guess they would set up classes for woke studies or something, but it would still be, you know, voluntary to take it or whatever. But I, I would, I would think that that would be less of a problem in that kind of place than in a a charter place where it's like, you know, doing lessons and having curriculum. You know, I, I find woke ideas to be radically contrary to the methodology of unschooling and the methodology of, of a preschool. So woke ideas are all about shame, social intimidation, um, name calling. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a thing very focused on results and it's something that is incredibly moralizing, degrading and et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. I do not feel those people, the people that believe in sort of woke ideas, um, aren't the tolerant type. In fact, they feel that tolerance is enabling they feel that, you know, if you, let's say, 
discussing race honestly, right? Like just having an honest discussion with race. If my kid comes up to me, they could say pretty much anything on race or gender or whatever. Yeah. And I'll just take it in stride. I'll be kind. I'll respect their arguments. I'll tell them, hey, maybe this is why you believe this. Let's think about these things and, and analyze it from that sort of view. That is radically, radically contrary to the belief in social justice. Social justice is about conformity. It's about social intimidation. It's about bullying. And uh, and it, it's not like because of that, I truly do not believe that anyone who feels um, that that's good, that's a good ideology is is going to be able to separate that sort of ideology because, because it's so... If you think that is so moral and good, how do you just stay on the sidelines and be like, well, everyone could have their own opinion. They don't believe that sort of thing, you know? Well, yeah, it's it's um, like a it's a religious zealotry, right? People who be who, who you know have their come to Jesus moment or whatever and their their spiritual awakening and they become ultra religious, it it consumes their whole life, you know? And that's that's kind of what we're seeing here with these kind of folks. Yeah. yeah. And look, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have a problem with socialists or all left wing people um, teaching my kids in a lot of ways, just because I 10 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever, it doesn't matter. There was a belief that you should separate your ideology from education. Right. But now there is not that belief anymore. It, it is that if you separate if you try to separate your ideology from education, then you're really just promoting um white heteronormative normative ideas. You're just promoting white supremacy. You're additionally, you know, in a way, if say my daughter has gets in a conflict with a disadvantaged persons, do you really think that, you know, that the person's going to approach it without, without bias and a, a seek for, you know, truth or, or whatever, or do you think that they're going to instead say you're white <laughs> and that's how we're going to judge this? I, yeah, you know, I, I I don't know, but I have no confidence that you know people who really promote ideas on social justice are going to be looking. Very few of them, I think, would want to view education from that sort of twenty years ago lens or from a sort of objective lens. In fact, that's that's structurally what they're fighting against. Yeah. Is that you know essentially objectivity and everything like that, it promotes the, um, the status quo, uh, it, it promotes the status quo. So yeah, the more that, you know, essentially they just stay on the sidelines, the more they're just promoting the status quo. So therefore they have to be activists in their teaching. And because of that, I just, I, I'm not going to let my kids be, um, if they didn't even advertise their sort of uh, woke stuff in their website and in various things like that, then I'd be like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's see. But the fact that they think it's so important to advertise and there's no reason to think that's a good marketable thing, <laughs> like that you're going to get a lot more students from marketing that, right? Maybe, yeah, probably um, not. Well, I mean, I've always seen like the the unschooling type have always been kind of leftist, right? Um, and if that's but, but all they you... want to market to and they don't, they're not trying to market to all of the – the Republicans in the in Texas, you know, they don't care. Sure. Then maybe. But. Yeah, but but the thing is, is one second. <laughs> no problem. I live next to an airport. One of the. Oh, uh, that's my Pam. Your uh, car's going off. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> no so um, 
Yeah, unschooling does tend to lean left. If someone was to ask me, I would be like, eh, maybe, I don't know, 60 to 70% lean left, maybe 20% are moderate and the rest are on the right. Um, that might be true. I, I don't really know, but uh, or I'll say moderate libertarian or something like that. The only problem is, though, is that by advertising wokeness, I don't think all of a sudden the lefties go, oh, I really want to go to that school now. I think they were kind of going anyways if they believed in that sort of thing. But it surely does kick out people, right? So. It makes yeah. it so people like me does not want to go yeah. or Republicans choose like, yeah, no, I'm not sending my kids. So I don't think I think there's certain ideas that if you advertise it's just exclusionary. It's not in, like you're not getting anything for it. Right. Um, and so I don't think advertising woke stuff is a good idea uh, if you were a, a free soul or something like that. So anyway, I'll, I'll get to my the other point. We could go back to this in a second. But okay. um, the reason so Dallas Fort Worth has two free schools, both of them really woke. But the Austin area has a lot more. And I know a couple of them aren't really into woke stuff. So if I had to go back and change plans, everything like that, I might reconsider uh, Austin. I, I don't know if I'd still choose it or not, but uh, uh, just because I, I would love that resource for my kids. Um, luckily, Dallas-Fort Worth area has a lot, a lot. Of, it's a high population density area with um, a lot of homeschoolers and unschoolers. So I'm sure we'll find a, you know, a lot of people to, that yeah. Uh, we can. Yeah, you'll, you'll find your people for sure. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I live... I don't know if I told, I think I did. I lived in Dallas for five years when I was little and we lived over in the Carrollton area. Um, you know, I got a few memories from that time, I guess. I did kindergarten there and I did first grade there. Um, but otherwise, it's just kind of how we adopted the Dallas Cowboys as our family football team, you know, when we came back just because Utah doesn't have a football team. So that was really the biggest takeaway, I guess, from there. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't decided what I'm doing with my sports teams yet. Um, you know, I've, I've always rooted for the Dodgers, so I'm going to keep that. Uh, but, but football, you know, I don't even – it's hard to watch too much sports now that I have kids. Yeah. <laughs> they they kind of took that let away. Let me tell you, if you're into football, so the NFL, the NFL YouTube channel, after every game, like an hour after the game's over, they'll release anywhere from a 10 to 15-minute highlight video. And it's pretty easy to follow up and down the field through each quarter. And you really get, you really get to watch a lot, you know, not, not most of the game, but quite a bit of the game in 15 minutes. So pretty much every Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I start watching these, these videos and I can watch all the morning games sort of, you know, in an hour. It's, it's pretty cool. So I'm like following and seeing how all the different teams are doing and it doesn't take up nearly as much time as if I was trying to watch full games and it's free. It's right on YouTube. I don't have to, I think they have a service that you can subscribe to and you can get like the commercial free version or the, just the, just the action. And those are like 45 minutes, you know, but anyway, it's a, it's a pretty good alternative. Thought I'd mention it. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm, you know, as time goes on, I figure maybe my kids will get to some of my hobbies with me um, and maybe they'll get into sports and I'll be able to get more into that. Um, right now, my two oldest kids, my daughters are just into Roblox. That's all I really care about is Roblox. Oh, that's, um, that's cool. My, my, uh, we'll have to, my six-year-old has logged in and ran around. She just turned six. Um, but otherwise she kind of lost interest. And, you know, from time to time, I'll ask her if she wants to start playing Minecraft. And she's like, I don't know how to play Minecraft. I'm like, well, okay, well, we'll show you and Rosie will help you. 
And she's like, okay. And then she gets into other stuff and she totally forgets about it. So like when Rosie was six, she started playing Minecraft and she like got way into it. Um, but Marion hasn't quite, hasn't quite caught on. She uses the desktop computer to watch YouTube and other stuff. And she uses the TV to do pretty much the same thing. So at some point here, she'll probably get into that. And we'll have to, we'll have to hook them up, see if they uh, connect or not. But anyway. Yeah. In a way, if you ever want to do it, uh, you know, my, uh, just, you know, message me or something like that. And yeah. it's pretty like almost every night now, both of my daughters do it. So I'm sure I, I don't play, but I'm sure there's some way to come up and then just kind of, you know, you, they can kind of, I know my daughters love calling people and just playing with them because it adds, you know, extra experience to that. So I'm sure, uh, yeah, if, if, if she's interested, hit me up. I'm sure my daughters would, you know, enjoy someone else kind of going along and doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they've always done it. They just, um, they used to use Skype. And now they use Discord. And so, yeah, they'll just get on calls with their friends and coordinate and work together and say, what do we want to play Minecraft or PUBG or Fortnite or whatever? And they'll just get together and have their time. And um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool because my kids were kind of other than other unschoolers. They were kind of alone in knowing how to access all this stuff and use it. Things like Skype, right? Really use the Internet in in this way you know none of their cousins really knew how to do it because they didn't really have access to do it but now that so many people they know that go to school are now like doing school from home and kind of getting their hands on more of this kind of technology they're not they're not so alone you know what i mean so it's kind of cool to, to see that see their their cousins kind of get into it the way they never did before because they they just you know didn't have time or didn't have the resources or whatever it was so so that's kind of a silver lining i guess but Anyway, so um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I didn't, I didn't even know this was going on, but you had um, an encounter with Child Protective Services there in California. If it's yes. not too traumatic to revisit that, <laughs> what happened there? Okay, it was a disaster. And while it all ended up working out, it renewed my hatred for the state. And Child Protective Services is a uniquely abhorrent organization. Um you know, with police, in a way, obviously, I know as a libertarian, there's an easy way to handle police, right? Sorry, I don't answer questions, right? Very, you blow them off, you don't ever have to, but CPS is different. So CPS, you kind of have to work with them, or they just make everything worse every single way, because you have to aid their investigation against you. Otherwise, they immediately go to a uh, a court, and then the court just orders everything through every step of the way they don't really need evidence um it, it's a really the way it happens it's just absolutely abhorrent so essentially my uh middle my middle child uh dodger she got a um vaginal infection we took uh that's most it's mostly just because of her learning to wipe by herself and not being all that great at it right so essentially uh my wife takes her to a doctor's appointment and then the doctor, you know, sees and says, oh, you know, essentially this is a sign of child abuse, right? That she's probably getting sexually molested or something like that. She confronts my wife about it. Now my wife's freaking out because she knows that now it's going to get reported to CPS. But, you know, we know nothing happens. No one has access to my kids to, like that, except for obviously me, my wife, 
Then we have a house help person that has access to, but we really have no reason. My daughters are never separate from each other. Uh, my oldest daughter is extremely streetwise. And we've talked about all this sort of stuff with all of our kids. So we really have absolutely no concerns at this point of anyone being molested or abused in any sort of way. Just there's no access. And, um, and you know, I, we just have absolutely no reason. But essentially, they decide to report us to CPS. And it is a nightmare. So the lady calls us. Um, and essentially, I did my research. I learned that. Uh, so like, I, I was like, yeah, it's cool. Come by whenever, you know, usually I'd blow them off. But I talked to a lawyer and the lawyer said, look, you have to just do everything they say. And I'm just like, really? That's all. So I thought that guy was full of crap until I called another lawyer. And then the other lawyer said, uh, yeah, you just have to do everything they say. Right. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is a, all defense lawyers are just saying comply with them the whole step of the way. But how they talk to you is incredibly degrading and horrible. So anyway, I get to get them on the phone and um, I say, hey, cool. Why don't you come by? I'm just going to record the whole thing. Right. And they say, oh, yeah, sorry. Our policy says you can't do that. And then I, I'm like, I don't think so. Uh, l- let me call you back in a minute. And I look up the policy. I, I look it up and yeah, that's just bull crap. I mean, they could have that policy if they want to, but I'm allowed to record them. Absolutely. So I say, yeah, I'm going to record you. Uh, but yeah, feel free to come by. They end up sending cops with them partially as a means to intimidate me. And I know it was because they weren't, they said, oh, we'll just drop by. I'll drop by at the end of the day. And then I insisted on recording them. And then I recorded a whole thing. I, it starts off with me arguing with the cops <laughs> of my, my video. And um, with, I mean, not arguing like yelling, but arguing like, you know, they were tr- how cops always try to talk and set the premise. And this is how it's going to go. Yeah. And I wouldn't let them, you know. Um, but it, at one point I kicked the cops off my property, but, you know, it ended up kind of de-escalating from there. One of the cops wasn't a total jerk, even though, I mean, he's a cop, but, but uh, then essentially um, uh, things de-escalated to the point. I didn't let him inside or anything like that, but they ended up interviewing everyone and um, they, uh, the, the interviews went uh, fine, Right. But of course, the way they question you, you're just like, why do I have to answer this? This is great the way they talk about it. And of course, it's like, you're asking me about my parenting? Like, gosh, it, it feels like, I don't know, I, I'm a, it, it's going to sound arrogant, but I think I know a lot about parenting, right? Yeah. And to question by these people makes me feel like, who the heck are you people, you know? Let, um, me, let me ask you, are you... For yourself and for everybody that they want to interview, your kids, everybody, are you allowed to have an attorney involved? You can. The only problem is, is everything you do to make things harder or delay the process means the investigation is going to be bigger and longer, right? So they, additionally, the lawyers say, don't answer questions. They might say, don't answer questions to a cop, but they will say, answer all questions to CPS. Right. Well, I don't, so, I don't understand what what's that. Both both seem like other than by not answering questions, it all of a sudden all of a sudden gives them probable cause to destroy your life because why else would you not answer yes. questions? But it's like this is this is annoying. It seems so like both CBS, are both are enforcement than, arms, and both yes. should be treated the same way. They should be, yeah. but the problem is, is the courts treat CPS radically different than cops. 
Um, and so because of that, essentially, that CPS has free reign over courts. The judges will approve pretty much anything they ask for. And so anything you do to stonewall them, delay, or anything else, all it will do is escalate things to the next level. That's all it's going to do, right? And because so, I got in this discussion too, because I've never, obviously, had any idea about anything about CPS. And I'm talking to lawyers, I'm reading everything, you know, online, everything that I can find. There were some places that said, don't talk to them, go to a lawyer and stuff like that. And I would research it more. And those were things that probably weren't an idea, you know, um, to go that route. Because essentially, by not talking to CPS, in some ways, you don't give them, you don't contribute to a greater case in some ways of speaking, right, by not talking to them. Um, but at the same time, you guarantee that it's going to be a much, much larger ordeal. And the investigation itself has an, a major, major consequence, right? Um, so the thing is, is that there's not really a way to stonewall CPS like you can with cops. Like cops, you just don't answer questions, right? You, you let them try to prove their case. And there's a lot of evidence and everything else that could be presented to a court because judges and the judicial system believes that it's protecting children and that you need unique ability to protect children. Really, they don't care about evidence. Sure, you're supposed to have evidence, but they don't really care. Right. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense if they consider themselves as some partial legal guardian of your children, then they would you know, obviously assume certain rights and privileges that you yourself also assume for, you know, over your kids. And so it's not, it's not so much like the cops don't, the cops don't make that same, I mean, there's a lot of presumptions a cop make as far as jurisdiction and whatnot, but as far as like the, the relationship with your children, I think the government considers themselves as co-parents and they have parental rights over your children. Um, in the same way you do, <laughs> it would seem to me. But yeah, so uh, the interviews—I mean, they're demeaning. They're horrible people in a lot of different ways. But you know, it's funny because uh, my, you know, my oldest daughter was interviewed, and she answered everything right. Like I, I and uh, it's it's funny watching people ask questions to a kid who has no context of the answers. Like just I, in the recording of my daughter uh, um, being interviewed. Uh, they ask her, like, does anyone hit you? And then she's like, well, Bear does, our youngest kid. But, you know, that happens sometimes and everything. And, and all their questions are just kind of going to places because they think she'll contextualize it well, but she doesn't because she, we didn't prep her in any way just because we felt like prepping her would cause more problems than it would help, right? So we just said, just answer, you know, it honestly. And, um, you know, it's not a problem, right? So um, she answered everything great. My middle child did not the one that's you know theoretically uh, being uh, abused um, she didn't answer things great not that she answered it super bad like if you know as a parent like they asked her first of all they asked her like few times do you know the difference between uh truth and uh, the truth and a lie and she kept saying no but in different ways she just kept saying no right and then you know at one point they say uh what when you when <laughs> when you um do a bad thing or when you don't do what your dad says, what does he do? And she goes, he does bad things to me. <laughs> or like something like that. <laughs> so, and, and then she says, what do you do? Uh, well, he takes me upstairs, right? A into the room. And then what? Well, he says, don't hit her kick. 
And then what? He takes me to the beds, right? Now, what's the translation of all this? Well, the translation of all this is when my daughter hits people, I will just take her upstairs with me and her and I'll just be like, you can't hit and you can't kick. You have to agree to that before we leave this room, right? And then after that, a lot of times we'll go back into the master bedroom where we watch shows, right? Well, so that's, that's the process. But if you think of it from her mind, you know, we take her to the room he says no hitting, kicking. Then he takes us to the beds, meaning the be- faster bedroom, right? Now, most of the interview is not that bad, right? Most yeah. of the interview is fine. But anyways, the, the, the lady's like, well, there was a lot of inconsistencies she's for, right? There was a lot of inconsistencies, so we have to get this other thing. And this is when, a, and then after the, I, I, we need you guys to agree to this. Once again, I start calling up lawyers and I'm like, what should I do? And once again, they just say, comply, 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 comply. So there's this test where they have her in front of a, a therapist and then there's a physical exam and everything like that. Right. Um, and uh, it, it takes a week or two to set this up, but now a, a, a sexual abuse private detective is calling us to schedule this and ask questions and everything like that. Right. Anyways, we're, I have no delusion that the state won't F me and my family over. Right. It's funny. You watch these crime shows where some people are like, I know I'm innocent. Therefore, I feel fully justified that the the system will set me free. And when that didn't happen, I was I was surprised or something. I have no delusion of that. I have no delusion that they will screw me over if they can or if they find it in their interest. That's not saying they will, but I have no delusion that they they will if they think it's in their interest. They wanted to delay this test by like three weeks, but then I'm like, I'm just going to move to Texas then. And then all of a sudden, they had room the next day. You know, it just um, but. So essentially, you know, in a way we're freaking out, not, not free, not that there's, there's nothing to find, but the problem is we just have no delusion that they'll screw us over if they can't. Right. And, well, that's, um, that's when, when you're, when all the lawyers are telling you just comply, I, I, I mean, the reason they, the reason they tell you to keep your mouth shut when it comes to the cops is cops have a, a, a way of fucking you over, like you say. For any little thing, and you don't want to, you don't want to give them anything accidentally. So now the lawyers are saying, just comply and tell them everything, and be honest and do everything they want. That that risk is still there that you'll you'll give them something unintentionally that they can use in a different way um, against you. And so yeah, there's even if you're totally innocent, whether it's cops or CPS, the fear is the same that they can fuck you over. And everybody needs to, everybody needs to know that. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and, and the thing is, is we do things that are weird, right? Like my kids' names are really weird. We homeschool, we unschool, yeah. we co-sleep, right? Yeah. So all of these things, if you are a normie, could be red flags, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, they do an interview of our daughter, which we're not allowed to be there for. We're not allowed to have the video of that. Now I can summon it from a get. I can get a FOIA request to get the video that they took, but we're not allowed to see it, right? Um, because it's going to be used to incriminate me theoretically. So they right. interviewed my daughter, and they found nothing. She didn't say anything out of order. Then they had another doctor, uh, inspector, and I guess I wasn't there. My wife said the doctor was real nice. She was there for it. And uh, the doctor said, I don't see any evidence of abuse whatsoever. Everything looks totally fine to me. I don't know what that original doc was doing. Since then, it's been dropped, right? 
But this whole process is an absolute nightmare. The way they talk, I remember the, the interviews. After all the interviews in my family, I'm talking to the CPS lady and she said, yeah, so, I mean, it was fine with your older daughter. She denied it, right? Um, she denied so I don't, it. Denied like, what? <laughs> why would she talk like that? Like, why would you say that, you piece of crap? Um, so, I mean, the way they talk to you is just demeaning. They're horrible people. They want you to feel, you know, under investigation. They And, and you have absolutely no recourse. It's just a really horrible system, you know, top so, to bottom. Let me... Obviously, we care about kids and we care about the way kids are treated. I mean, me and you were peaceful parents, we're unschoolers. We obviously care a lot about our own kids. And we, we probably want, we probably both prefer, I know I do, that everybody in the world is a peaceful parent and an unschooler, right? Because we think that's the least abusive way of raising kids. So we care about kids. We don't want kids to be abused. What what is a solution here in a free society if not some organization like this to protect kids? What do you think? Well, you know, first of all, I don't know fully. Um, I can say that like if I was to debate someone, someone says, okay, you think CPS is bad. I can think of a million things that would make things better, right? Um, from what they're doing now. Right. So one of the big problems is, is that there's no accountability. They could screw you over and there's no accountability. Right. They have one no, problem. They have no um, this lawyer, this radical lawyer guy listen to listen to his podcast. The point he makes is prosecutors and, and for the most part, cops and bureaucrats and administrators, they have no skin in the game, which is what yes. you're talking about. Perfect. Yeah. Skin in the game. Absolutely. So I'm a bit, I really like Nassim Taleb. He talks about that. I think everyone in every situation needs to have significant skin in the game. They need to have significant downsides for their bad decisions and significant, and they can have upsides for their good decisions, right? Uh, in fact, I have a big problem with juries for that reason. Let's say you're on a jury and you convict a man to death or convict a man to a bad sentence. But okay, what if it was wrong? What if you weren't? What if he was innocent and you just convicted a a, a innocent man to prison? What's your downside? And if your downside's not anything, then this is a really flawed system. You you need to have downside in being wrong. And when you don't have downside in being wrong, then a lot of times the system's going to reward you for being right all the time. And so if you just try to convict everyone that's in front of you, you're going to get rewards and there's not going to be the downside of, you know, screwing something up. So for example, obviously getting rid of qualified immunity would be great, right? Making sure that CPS agents can get sued for making mistakes, making sure that agencies have to have insurance for a lot of money. So if they make a mistake, they could just get, you know, sued. They can lose their position. They can even go to jail in extreme cases and stuff like that. Um, so the problem is, is the system doesn't care very much if they mess up. Now, of course, at a personal level, no CPS agent says, I want to screw people over. Just like no cop or prosecutor says, I really don't want to screw people over. But that's the problem is when you don't see the downsides, when you don't experience the downsides, but you do experience the upsides, then the problem is, is you're careful at the wrong end, right? You're, you're not careful you're careful not to let anyone fall through the cracks and not get convicted, but you're not careful 
about not convicting someone falsely, right? Because, you know, that fear, just like for if, you know, if you want to stop cops from shooting people unjustly, then make sure that they have to pay for it, you know, that they have to pay the lawsuits instead of the the civilians, or even make the, you know, the the unions or something pay the lawsuits that would make them accountable to each other, at least. But with no accountability in the system, and no skin in the game, these people, how they talk to people are horrible. Additionally, even their attitudes approaching it, you know, when you talk to people, uh, whether it's a teacher, like when I was a kid, teachers, teachers, by the way, are worse than cops or CPS agents. They're, they're, they're the worst because they have the most access and the most disproportional authority, right? Um, they're no skin in the game. And uh, to me, the worst people in society for the most part are teachers. Um, but how teachers talk to me when I was a kid was so horrible because I'm not their customer. Like all they care is that I'd listen to them do what they want. And, you know, they're just trying to get to the next day. And the downside, the downside of me not liking them, the downside of treating me bad is almost nothing. Right. So, you know, but what's the upside? Well, maybe they get more compliance from a kid that's getting, you know, uh, abused verbally by a teacher. So, the incentives on all of these things is just that there's no skin in the game, They're, that these people are not accountable for their actions. Um, so the main thing I would say is that I, I'm not sure if someone says, hey, you live in a, a, a an anarcho-capitalist society and uh, what should you do about CPS? I, I don't know. I don't have that answer. I, I, I'm interested in what the market would prefer. I'm interested in arguments. I haven't really researched it, like what would be a good business model or something like that for handling stuff like that. I'm really not sure. I do know the system that we have now is incredibly corrupt because there is no downside. There is no skin in the game. There is no um, means to challenge these people's authority. Um, And because of that, it makes it so, uh, it's just horrible incentives that treats people like crap um, uh, in really irresponsible and shitty ways. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't seem that difficult to envision. I mean, obviously if, if, if some adult doesn't care, like if this, this doctor, this first doctor you went to, if she didn't care, then she would never have reported it to CPS, but she did care. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, just regular people that do care about this sort of thing. Like I think in our culture, we more or less, um, I think there might be other cultures that are better at this. We do care about this sort of thing going on with kids, um, less so when it's, you know, like spanking and that sort of stuff. But sexual abuse, I think we care a lot about. And I think in a free society, you would have people who care. So you'll have people who will raise the question. So I guess the question becomes, who do they raise the question to? Who do they report to? And I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to think that there would be certain uh, watchdog type firms that this sort of thing could be reported to and then an investigation would be started. I guess the question is, who would pay for it? How would it be paid for? Um, But people are not worried about funding. I think funding is an easy answer. And and just because essentially things get funded to the degree people care, right? I remember talking to someone a long time ago, someone saying, how do you handle, you know, um, health coverage for people who don't have coverage. Like essentially, if someone can't afford health coverage um, in any sort of way, how do you handle a, having a society, whether it's anarchist or otherwise, 
um, how do you handle it um, without using coercion, without using the state or something like that? And the answer is, is that as much as people care is what's going to happen. Like, for example, the way to solve starving people is no one wants to see people starving. If you're walking down the street and everyone's fed, you're not going to think, I really need to donate more to the, the feeding people campaign. But if you actually start walking down the street and you see people absolutely emaciated, that's going to seem like an enormous issue to you. And you're going to probably give a lot of money to to some shelter that feeds people, right? In the same way, if you see people dying on the streets that can't afford it, or you know the person that's, you know, this, or if the bigger it is in society, the more visible a problem it is, the more it's going to feel important to people. And so I think funding will automatically get allocated just by the visibility of an issue. The more an issue seems like a real issue, the more money that people want to give to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I, I, you already mentioned, I think the important thing is just when this, you know, whatever watchdog group or firm or whatever it is that has this sort of business model, if they go in and they're going to be severely limited because they don't have, um, they don't have governmental power. But I think, I think that there would probably be social prep pressures, reputational pressures, other things like that, that would, induce people to cooperate and then if if they if they do overstep then they're going to have uh they're going to be liable for you know countersuit and that sort of stuff so they're going to be careful they're probably going to do what they can to investigate secretly i would imagine to try to to try to get information that way i mean i also think various insurance policies um, like, for example, I've always thought that I would love to live in a society that everyone had conflict insurance, right? Million dollars of conflict insurance, because it just makes it so everyone's going to be super cooperative, pay their bills, and not be in jerk because they don't want their insurance policy rates to go up, right? Um, so any sort of that, whether it, you use a DRO system or anything like that, I mean, if I was a insurance company, I'm going to say, here's what's up. Uh, we do have, you know, if you are accused of being investigated for a uh, a sexual crime against a minor or something like that, we do require you to cooperate with at least these couple agencies that we use or something like that. Otherwise, uh, either your rates are just going to skyrocket, you know, or you'll, um, you're just going to be uninsurable. We're just going to have to cut off your insurance. And this will get reported to other insurance agencies. So we do require that you uh, cooperate with this investigation because the thing is, is if, if you don't cooperate, then all of a sudden you are a huge liability for us. Because as soon as you get accused, you are now a bigger risk to our insurance policy as soon as you're accused. But, you know, it's not fair to just raise your rates just because you're accused. So instead, we're just going to require you to go through the investigation. We'll keep your rates low. And if you go through the investigation, everything's fine. Your rates will stay low. This will get wiped clean, right? But otherwise, if your rates... Um, if you don't comply, then you have to realize from our point of view, you are now a much, much bigger uh, risk of getting sued by whoever, for whatever reason, you are now a much, much bigger liability. Additionally, we'll might look like a piece of crap company insuring you for, uh, you know, when you are, you know, commonly viewed as a, a child molester or something like that. So I think there are ways to get compliance in a private or free society. Um, obviously, if you live in an area that has a homeownership type association, it could just be in your clause that if you're going to live here, then you you know you can't be 
kids. And if you do, we'll have this agency do it. And if that agent, that agency is still liable, that agency still cannot overstep in the, in what they do. So I think there's a lot of ways to kind of address this sort of thing. Um, but if, if you have a society that doesn't care, then it won't get investigated. Right. right. But if you have a society that if you have a society that does care, which I care, I would want to live in a society that does care, that wants to uh, protect children, um, then I think there's a lot of different avenues to go <laughs> in order to do that. Um, I think you can make it a major reputational issue that'll affect you know every sort of contract and, and uh, negotiation and how you work with people. So I think there's a way to address it along those lines. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, all right, man. I've kept you an hour, so why don't I why don't I let you go? And uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, uh, you you shared the house you're moving into. It's beautiful. I showed my wife, and she's like, "How much was that? Let's move to Texas." <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> like a bigger yeah. house, more work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do that Texas is so much. I mean, we're able to get so much more. Not only is it such a nice house for a good price, but it's like right in the middle of everything and such a nice neighborhood and everything like that. So yeah, if you ever want to come to Dallas, Fort Worth, we can, you know, there's that extra, we have extra rooms you guys can hang out in and stuff like that. Feel free to visit us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep it in mind. All right, bud. Well, thanks so much. Good to see you. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Please send your comments and questions to everything voluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.